uh, a gospel culture known among us where there's safety with one another because of who we are in Christ and that we're patient and bearing with one another and all these things. And so one of the areas that we thought would be really helpful in gospel culture is the area of encouragement. Uh, I want to introduce Shelby. Uh, we introduced him a few weeks ago as, as our new pastoral intern. Um, Shelby actually is, uh, when he, he tried to do something with us like long ago, several years ago. He remembers the date and the email that he sent <laughs> before I knew Shelby at all. Um, but he came to Enid nonetheless, not at Sojourn, and then has found his way here. And we're just so thankful for him. And the idea here is with this pastoral internship is that we as a body, because of what the scripture says, we exist to help equip the saints for the work of ministry. And this pastoral internship is that same uh, mission. We're trying to help equip him for the work of pastoral ministry, which he desires to do. And so this internship will be a lot of that, hands-on, practical, seeing what we do, doing the stuff that no one else wants to do, you know, those kind of things. That'll, it'll all be included uh, in order to help equip him further for pastoral ministry, wherever that may be, here or elsewhere. So we're thankful that he's here. I really appreciated his humility, his willingness to serve, uh, his love for the Word, desire to uh, contribute for the good of the saints himself. So uh, I'm going to pass it over to him, and he's going to encourage us with encouragement. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Uh, first day of being in the internship, you know, I was preparing to do, like, your routine intern tasks, like make coffee, uh, like figuring out, like, which cup is whose and all this. And first day on the job, Dylan brings me a cup of, what was it, fermented? Fermented, I mean, it sounds... If you're not a coffee person, it might sound disgusting, but it was fermented coffee, and it was like the most delicious cup. And I was like, I should be making you coffee. Who are you, or who am I that you should make me coffee? So, <laughs> but it's been uh, just a couple weeks, and it's been an absolute delight. So, as Dylan mentioned, um, I've been in Enid for a couple years now. My wife and I, they're at home sick. Um, with, my wife is at home sick with Cooper and Hudson, uh, my two boys. And, um, but we've been in Enid for a couple of years before that. We were in Louisville, Kentucky. And whenever I was in Louisville, I worked for Chase Bank. And um, it, you've heard the adage, uh, if you want to know the real thing, or if you want to know the, the, a fake, study the real thing. It's overused, so I'm told. And, but with that, whenever I worked at Chase Bank, I would deal with probably hundreds of bills every single day. And, like, you know, I'd know the, the feel, the texture, the look. And so anytime a counterfeit came through, I didn't, like, I wouldn't even have to look. I would just be, like, counting through, and I could feel it. And I could just know exactly what a fake was. And then somebody else has told me, we're going to put, put, uh, put aside our opinion on, like, the value of currency and, like, being backed by the gold standard. Like, the American dollar is, like, backed by the American people, right? So it has value. But this person told me, what are, what are the two things that a, a dollar bill is good for? Now, specifically, a counterfeit dollar bill is good for. What is it good for? What is its use? Firewood and toilet paper. <laughs> and so uh, there, was, there was no value in those counterfeits. And I had to break the news to the person who brought that in. Like, hey, I know that, well, I hope that you didn't bring this in. Like, you didn't manufacture it. But... Um, your $100 bill here is not a $100 bill, it's a fake. And they were crushed because they were expecting that dollar bill to have like, value of $100. Yeah. 
And so I start with that this morning because I, whenever thinking about encouragement, uh, my mind goes to the book of Proverbs, and that's what I'll start off with. Just listen to how Solomon describes the words that we give out to people and the value that they have. The tongue of righteous, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver, and the heart of the wicked is of little worth. And the lips of the righteous, they feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. So just as that that counterfeit has no value, or maybe two uses, um, the actual thing is of immense value, and so too with encouragement. Whenever we're giving encouragement, we know sometimes that whenever we're giving encouragement, um, it can just be a little bit of fluff. It can be some, some flattery. But... As we start this morning, I want to encourage us to use our words like silver. We're going to see that um, Solomon says that our words can bring healing. It's choice silver. Um, The lips of the righteous feed many. So my hope at the end of this is that we'll be better equipped to um, produce a gospel culture and encouragement by uh, with with our words. So my my goal for our time is twofold. First, is to provide a biblical presentation of encouragement. So, teach what encouragement is. And I read this online, and I'll share it here, because we don't want to stop with just knowledge, right? It says, we can be theologically sharp, knowing how to give instruction and in sound doctrine, and also knowing how to rebuke those who contradict it. However, if we stop there, we are refuting the very purpose of understanding these rich gospel truths. And the purpose of understanding rich gospel truths is to create and cultivate gospel culture, reflecting God's goodness to the watching world. So, we don't want to just know what biblical encouragement is. We want to be able to practice it. So, here's the full goal of our time here this morning. To to provide a biblical presentation of encouragement so that we would be better equipped to encourage one another in the local church. So, with that, would you pray with me? <clears throat> Lord, that is our hope that as we examine your word and we consider our hearts, we consider who you are, um, you are the God of encouragement. And so, we hope to reflect that um, to each other and to the watching world. And we understand that we cannot do that apart from your help and by your spirit. So in humility, we say that we cannot do this on our own, but we need the, the good shepherd who has adopted us um, and calls us your children to, to help us. Do mighty things through us, Lord. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So... Um, What we're going to do is I'm going to give a few examples of biblical encouragement, just a few passages. I'm going to share uh, what biblical encouragement isn't. I think that's helpful. Like, you want to know what something is, you want to know what it's not. Um, I'll give a definition of encouragement, why we need biblical encouragement, and then we'll spend the rest of our time considering how. Like, the majority of the time, I hope, will be very practical. If I start to run a little bit over time, just give me an over-exaggerated like, neck pull, and I will, I'll get the cue. So, uh, first, first example that I thought of 
in biblical encouragement is Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. You don't have to turn there. Uh, it's just very quick. It's, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation, and he goes on to say all these things, implying that, well, there is, in fact, like, there is encouragement in Christ. There is comfort from love. There is participation in the Spirit. And Paul, like, drags this out, and he says, so if there is, if there is, if there is, then complete my joy by being united together. So we see that encouragement in Christ as a means of maintaining unity. So for those of us who are united in Christ, we're encouraged with that, and then that spurs us on to uh, be further united together. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul's encouraging these uh, believers that in light of, they're, they're wondering, when will the return of the Lord happen? Will, will it come, like, whenever we're asleep? Um, all these uncertainties, and Paul reassures them. In light of circumstantial uncertainties, when Jesus will return, he, encourages, he exhorts them to encourage each other with what is certain, that we are children of the light and that God hasn't destined us for wrath, but to obtain a salvation through Jesus Christ. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 8 to 11. Uh, Colossians ch chapter 2. I'll read this passage quickly. Starting in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you for those who, who are at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Put a bookmark there, face to face. For later in the lesson. Uh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Then he, go he goes on to say, I say this, verse 4, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good, your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ Jesus. So, summarizing that, the Colossians were given encouragement and all wisdom and knowledge from Paul in the face of false teaching. And a part of this process was that their hearts would be knit together in love. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Let us not neglect the gathering uh, together. But what is the opposite of neglecting to gather together? He says, well, like implied, gather together. Like don't not gather, but gather together. But then he goes on to say, like the opposite of that is encouraging one another. Uh, and then Romans chapter 15, verse 5. Like our God is the God of encouragement, Paul tells us. We're going to see that um, maybe later this year at the end of Romans chapter 15. And so there's, there's so much more, right, with, with all of this. There, there are a lot of different passages that we could turn to. Those are just a few examples of uh, biblical encouragement. And so with that, before I give the definition of what biblical encouragement is, let's talk about what it isn't. So with 1 Thessalonians 5 in mind, biblical encouragement is not speaking primarily to circumstances, although, as I would attest this past year, speaking to circumstances can be important and very necessary. Um, I can't tell you how many times this year, like, <laughs> this past year, I went into Dylan's office and I was like, dude, I have no, no, no idea what to do. These jobs keep falling through, blah, 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 blah. And then Dylan was just like, master encourager over here, like, like, Encouraging, encouraging me circumstantially, but then also in the Lord. So it's not primarily, key, key word there, speaking to circumstances. It's rather 
speaking to the heart in the midst of circumstances. And as we consider that, um, biblical encouragement is speaking to the heart in the middle of circumstances. That is a, like, that's a very, very difficult and long-term process, speaking to the heart. I think that's why the author of Hebrews in um, chapter 10, verse 25, he says, consider how to stir one another up in love. He says, consider how. Uh, we have to take time. We ought to take the time and the, the prayer to consider the other person's heart as we are going to encourage, like in our, in our home groups. Um, and so with that, a temptation is to, a, another temptation of what biblical encouragement isn't, it's not simply to console or to just comfort somebody. Although, like, consoling and comforting are good things. It's not simply that. And it's certainly not flattery. But rather, here's the definition of biblical encouragement. You can examine it for yourself. Um, it is speaking the truth of the Bible to one another with the goal of Christ-likeness and growth in godliness. Speaking the truth of the Bible to one another with the goal of Christ-likeness and growth in godliness. And so, I, I really want to focus in on speaking Scripture in that definition. Speaking the truth of the Bible, because it's crucial. Um, like We want to like, give words of life. Uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verses 20, as we just started. Like, um, the lips of the righteous are like choice silver. They feed many. However... There are times whenever biblical encouragement, like no words are necessary. I want to tread carefully here because I don't want to undermine the value of words because like, faith comes by hearing and by hearing the word of the Lord. Like We have to speak. Um, but sometimes no words are necessary to biblically encourage. Think about being present during someone's grief. Like just your presence. I mean, if if you've been grieving and somebody has just been there with you, like, I've been encouraged by that. Think about bringing a meal to somebody. Like, that's a, uh, providing for the needs of the saints. That's encouraging. Um, providing money, giving abundantly, generously. That's, that's super encouraging. However, for our time here, we're going to be considering speaking the truth of the Bible with the goal of Christ-likeness and growth and godliness. And then lastly, why we need biblical encouragement, because as we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 8 to 11, uh, because we're children, children of the light. We're not destined to wrath. Because the gospel is true. That's why uh, we need biblical encouragement. And then... We encourage and we receive encouragement because sin is present, it's in the world, and it's around us, and it's personal. We are sinners, and we are sinned against. So we need words of encouragement brought to us. We need words of life brought to us. We need to give words of life because people are sinned against. We sin against others. And then in Hebrews chapter 3, verses, verse 13, um, the author says, exhort one another as long as it is as, as long as it is called today that you might not fall into, well, no, what is it? Exhort one another 
every day so that you would not fall away from the one true living God. So we need biblical encouragement because we want to stay in the fold of, of Christ. We want to abide with him. And so with that, the rest of our time, we're going to be spending, I hope, in a very practical tone in how we encourage one another. And the first thing that we do when we want to encourage is we need to draw near. We need to draw near to the person that we are wanting to encourage. And what I mean by that is we want to build honest, Jesus-centered relationships by sharing stories or patterns, strengths, victories, weaknesses, sins. We want to build life relationships, deep gospel-centered relationships, because we were created for a relationship. In uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we were created for a relationship with God. Uh, the Lord walked with Adam in the garden. They were like in perfect relationship. God, Adam was created for a relationship with God. Then we see that in, later in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it is not good for man to be alone. So we are created for each other. Jumping all the way to Romans chapter 12, verse 5, we are members of one another. So we were made for God and we were made for one another. So first step in biblically encouraging is to do what we are created to do. Draw near in relationship. And since my time here at Sojourn, uh, the leadership as a whole body has done a, like, an absolutely wonderful job of doing life together. I was talking with John about this right before we started. Uh, so home groups, they're a steady rhythm in the life of this church. And they're just, they're a natural tool that we can use to draw near to each other relationally. But let's not look at home groups as an end in and of themselves because let's use what we hear and see on Sunday mornings, the Lord's Day, the day that's commanded in Scripture. Let's use what we hear on the Lord's Day, what we hear in home groups as, as invitations into each other's lives to draw near together to Galatians 6.2, to bear one another's burdens. And so whenever we're gathering on the Lord's Day, maybe this morning, maybe later this morning, you ask somebody like how they're doing, how their soul is, and they share something that's really deep. Uh, let's use that and not just say like, oh man, I, I, I grew really close to this person, but let's, let's like use that as, like, they are giving us a precious jewel into their heart, an invitation for you to, to come in and to speak life into their hearts. The same, same in home groups. And quick sidebar. It goes without saying, but it's not necessarily our responsibility to draw near to every single person who belongs to Sojourn Enid. You can if that is your conviction, like, you can't. <laughs> there's, there's no rule on this, specifically. Uh, but as there isn't a rule to, if you have to get to know every single person, there better be at least one. In order to fulfill the one another's of Scripture, we think about what Paul just said, uh, in Colossians chapter 2, 
Right? They haven't seen me face to face. There better be a face to this one another that we are doing in life together. So you may not get to know every single person, but like set out to like do one another's with at least at least one, right? We want more than that, sure. So that's the first thing. We want to draw near relationally. Then we want to listen. Listen is listening is a, like it's a skill. You have to really work on it. And one of the first things you have to do in order to listen is to stop talking. <laughs> uh, we have to stop talking about ourselves. James chapter 1, verse 19. So it says, let's be, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak. Which is, like, there's a reason James put that in there. Because it's a real challenge. It's something that we need to be mindful of. We have to be mindful of being quick to hear and slow to speak. It's not in our instinct to do that. And this is such a challenge, this just like jumped off the page to me whenever I was preparing. This is such a challenge that James finishes this phrase by saying, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, which it's like, okay, listening and hearing, that's a part of communication, but then anger, it's like, what is going on there? And then you further reflect on what James is doing, you keep reading that letter, and then he says in chapter 4, verse 1, what is it that causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So let's be slow to anger. When you don't get what you want, you murder. I think James encourages us to be slow to anger in chapter 1 because by the Spirit, he knows the selfish desires of our heart and that we desire to speak. And often we, we like to speak about ourselves. Like, uh, well, I won't put them on the spot, but had some friends over, and like, at the end of the night, I was like, I did not stop talking, like, at all, I just kept talking, why, why did I keep talking, because this, this person, this friend of mine, was, like, quick to hear, and slow to speak, so good at asking questions, like, about me, and it's like, he out, out encouraged me, like, he just, uh, and, and, but, like, I had to peer, peel back the, the veneer, open up my heart. It's like, I really like that. I really like talking about myself. It was like, it was fun. Because it's easy. It's easy to talk about myself. It's hard to, to listen. It's hard to hear. So we, we like to talk about ourselves. And when we don't get to do that, we get angry. A little fire stirs up in our heart. And we recall Jesus' sermon, uh, sermon on the Mount. It says, if you're angry with your brother, you're, you've committed murder in your heart. I think there's something closely tied, that, tied together that James is doing here. Whenever he says, let's be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In chapter 4, he says, when you don't get what you want in your heart, you get angry and you murder. Moving on. Uh, another part of listening 
is resisting the temptation to fill air. I am like 100% guilty of this. You think about like awkward moments of silence. Uh, somebody just like, okay, you, you've drawn near relationally and you've been listening and this person is starting to share their heart with you. And it's like, it's really hard stuff. And then they like, they stop. And then you don't know what to say. So you just start saying something, anything, because that awkward silence is like the worst feeling in the world. We hate those awkward moments of silence. So we just start filling air with, like, I, I want to be very generous here. Like, I don't want to, like, squelch what the Lord is doing, maybe in the moment by the Spirit. Like, maybe, like, after sharing that, somebody shares that, um, a passage comes to your mind, and you share a passage, or you share a, a struggle that you've had. Um, I don't want to minimize the value and the goodness of that. But rather, think back to what biblical encouragement isn't. It's not just simply to console, it's not simply to comfort, and it's definitely not flattery. And I think whenever we have that temptation to fill air, comfort by itself, like in, like in the short term, consolation in the short term, or um, what did I just say? Flattery. Flattery, that's like what comes to our mind, because it's easy, because it's speaking to the circumstance rather than speaking to the heart. Speaking to the circumstances is really, really easy. Not really, really easy. I want to pop the brakes on that. It's easier than speaking to the complex heart. I, was, I brought this up to um, some folks here this last week, and uh, whenever I shared we want to resist the temptation to fill air, Kim Day suggested that we fill air because we might feel that we can fix the person on the spot. That, that we can fix the person on the spot. And she went on to say, let's, let's have the humility to know that we can't fix it on the spot. And I think she's right. So as we listen, as we resist the temptation to fill air, let's pray to have patience and wisdom as to know how to listen and when to respond. The next thing, we want to ask questions about them. What I didn't do the other night at dinner, what the other person did exceptionally well. We want to ask questions about them. Uh, it's very, very practical. We want to try to make, a, make it a practice of asking open-ended questions. Questions that can't just be answered with, yeah, no. Um, and if it's like, how are you? Good. Okay, well, what's good? You know. Here are just a few questions uh, that you might ask. Uh, if you are familiar with the book by David Pallison, Seeing with New Eyes, he has an appendix. Um, it's called, I think it's 60 X-ray questions. And they're like, they're absolutely wonderful. Um, if you're interested in that, I can send it to you or you can buy the book. Um, definitely recommend buying that book. Uh, but here are just a few questions that I was thinking of. Like, how are you doing? Easy, right? But here's a question that somebody asked me a few years back and I just, I can never shake it. This is such a good question. 
how's your soul? That's a, that's a, like, I feel like that's a more Christian way of asking, like, how are you doing? If there's anything wrong with asking, how are you doing? Like, but how's your soul? When we're asking that, we're asking, like, what's going on at, like, the central seat of your, like, your being? What's going on in your heart? Another one. What are you believing about God right now? In the midst of this, in this season, what are you believing about God? What do you think God is up to? What are you learning about God right now? How is God shaping you in this season? What are you learning about yourself and your heart tendencies in this circumstance? And then here's something that's like, I mean, really, really great question that I've been asked that I'm super thankful for. Do you have somebody that you can walk alongside with through this? Who are those people? Who do you have to walk alongside this circumstance with, this season with, or life? Do you have people in your life? There's more we could say about uh, listening, but those are just a few practical tips as to how we can do that. And then, moving on, we want to pray. We can be praying through this entirely, right? Of course, we should, can and should be. But I'm thinking, after we have drawn near, after we have listened, after we've resisted the temptation to fill air, and, like, okay, I'm going to put Dylan on the spot real quick. I, I shared something with him, I mean, countless times, so not just one instance of it. But I've shared things with him before, and he's just, like, in the moment, he's been like, man, yeah, I'll be praying for that. That was it. And I was like, okay, I'll go my merry way. And I left, and then, like, a few hours later, he, like, gave me a call, or the next time he saw me, and he encouraged me. He was like, hey, brother, I was, I was praying for you. I was thinking about you. And I, like, I thought of this passage. Consider this in, in your struggle right now. And you know what that was? That was like choice silver. That was like life that he was giving me. That was, it, it fed my soul. It, it really did. So we want to pray for the person in that intermittent time between like, when we met with them and when we do encourage. So we want to pray for the person and their circumstance that the Lord would strengthen them. Pray for ourselves that by uh, the Spirit that he would direct us as to maybe a certain passage that we should consider um, how, when we should approach this person. Uh, then we want to pray for wisdom. And I'll say what I began with. Again, speaking to the heart is a, it's a very difficult and long-term process. Again, I think that's why the author of Hebrews included the words, consider how to stir one another up. So, again, let's take the time in prayer and consideration because speaking to the heart is often more difficult than speaking to mere circumstances. Fourth thing. We want to consider. So we want to draw near relationally. We want to listen. Resist the temptation to fill air. Ask questions. We want to pray. Pray for ourselves, that the Lord would use us. Pray for the person, 
uh, pray for wisdom. And then fourth, we want to consider a few things. We want to consider the other person. First uh, Thessalonians 5 has uh, helpful categories to consider when encouraging. I'll read it real quick. Uh, and I'll start in verse 12. We ask, brothers, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who, are, who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish them and to esteem them very highly in the love uh, because of their work and be at peace among yourselves. And then verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, and help the weak and be patient with them all. And those, so I know I'm, I might be like, I don't know if we're going to do any quick class on like admonishing and helping. So if I'm stepping on somebody's toes, I might be teaching that class and you know, sue me. But um, I think that all three of these categories carry the idea of like encouraging in some respect. And so what are those three categories? It's they're, they're idle, they're faint-hearted, and they're weak. What does it mean to be idle? Maybe it, it seems that they, uh, they're, they're fine with not removing the temptations of sin. Maybe they seem indifferent about the health of their soul. Uh, faint-hearted. Uh, maybe they don't feel useful. They feel out of place. They don't feel fulfilled in life. They feel like giving up. Or are they weak? Maybe they're prone to depression uh, or immense discouragement. Darkness seems to just hover around them. Are they idle? Are they faint-hearted? Are they weak? Ephesians 4.29. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. And then this is very pertinent to this. As fits the occasion that it may give grace. So, what that might mean is we don't want to give the encouragement to the idle as we would the weak. Right? If somebody's like, if, if the weak person is very, uh, they, they are very aware of their sin and they are like, they're pursuing the Lord, but they're just, yeah. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm prone to like darkness, I guess. Um, the words that we would give somebody that is weak aren't the words that we would give somebody who's like going and twisting off every single night and like we wouldn't say to the weak person hey uh, be careful you're like I don't know if you're a Christian I want to encourage you to like return to the Lord uh, like does that make sense like we, we want to use words that fit the occasion we want to use words that build up the person and know uh, like, what their state is during this time. Are they faint-hearted? Are they weak? Are they idle? Are they, are they, like, are they happy? We can encourage happy people. We should. Uh, are they sad? Like, all the things. And so we want to consider those things, pray about those things. Uh, we want to then consider Scripture. I haven't seen any hard tugs yet. I just checked my clock. I don't, few more minutes? A few more minutes. Okay, I'm almost done. Uh, we want to consider Scripture. I, I've said this time and time again. Um, 
as fits the occasion, we want to give words of life. Uh, we want to memorize passages, share those passages. If we don't memorize them, when you're reading in your small group, or your, uh, your quiet time maybe, and you think about this person, shoot a text, give a call, or even better, and you see them face to face, encourage them in that. Then we want to consider the work of the Holy Spirit. We must remember during these moments that God hasn't left us as orphans, but he has given us his Holy Spirit through whom we cry, Abba, Father. So we remember that God is present by his Spirit, and we remember the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of his people, Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then lastly, we want to speak. We want to actually encourage, because we can know all these things, we can study encouragement, but if we don't do that, uh, then we are just pursuing entertainment. So Acts 34. Uh, Peter brought salvation to the Gentiles by bringing them the good news of the gospel. But the only way that happened was by the beginning of verse 34. It says, so Peter opened his mouth and said. And so too, we can have great information that can bring healing, that can help brothers or sisters not fall away from the one true living God. We can have information that gives grace but none of these gifts can be given without opening our mouths and speaking the truth of the Bible to one another so that we might all grow in godliness. Time. Any questions, any further thoughts before we get out of here? What did I say? Oh, yeah, there's not 34 chapters. and not, uh, Acts 29 already did that. They did it. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, Acts 10.34. Yeah, thanks for that. So, thank you all for this time. I'm encouraged by this. Yeah, let me pray for us. Lord, again, thank you that you are the God of encouragement and that we um, ha- don't have to figure out how to do this on our own, but we can just look to you um, as our example and think about the times that we have been in your word, encouraged by Um, your words. We have been with your people, encouraged by your people, and we have been encouraged by your spirit. Um, I'm so thankful uh, for the truth of Romans chapter 8, that we have not been left as orphans, but we have been adopted as sons and daughters, um, and that we don't have to try to figure this out on our own, uh, but you care for us, and you love us, and you uh, promise us that you will be with us. Thank you for being a refuge for us. Um, And be with us now as we sing praises to you with your people. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.